Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Probably sounds a little bit different to your ears. Welcome back to the podcast. We are not in the studio because Paul and I happen to be in completely different cities right now for Labor Day. Hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. Welcome back to life. It is uh, Happy Tuesday. We have lots going on. You may have seen Motor Trend. We just dropped the Jeep Wrangler piece on our new channel, the Test Drive Videos channel. And we have this week, the end of the sedans is coming this week. <laughs> the, really, it's truly the end. I cannot believe this. It's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the last video. So what yep. we did is we tallied up all of our expenses and just yes, shared kind of what car we thought sort of won each little challenge throughout the year. And it's, it's surprising. I think it's a lot of fun. It and is. as Todd said, we have the Wrangler and Moab, which I'm eager for all of you to see. It is on the second YouTube channel. The way to find that very easily is go to everydaydriver.com. Second tab over is YouTube, and then you can choose the main Everyday Driver channel and then the second YouTube channel. Thank you guys for your subscribership on there and continue to do that. That helps us build the channel and build towards growing that into genuinely the Test Drive channel where we want it to be a home for all the press cars that we do get that are single car reviews that you ask about. A new car Mm -hmm, comes mm -hmm. out, and usually that's kind of where new cars do exist because we'll get brand new cars from press uh, from the press fleet and from manufacturers, yep. and we'll drive it, and you might be shopping, you might be wondering, and that is the place to go see those as we continue to put our sports car challenge, Cheap Sports Cars, is coming on the main yep. YouTube channel. I have not yet, as of this recording, received the car yet. The reason is because we're recording <laughs> over Labor Day weekend, and so the owner was traveling, and he parked the car safely in his garage, and he's still, the check's in the mail, and he's going to get that, and then I'm going to arrange for shipping so we can yep. immediately get driving these things. We've got to get driving before some weather comes towards us and we can't do, you know, the summer road trips and the, you know, that kind of driving. So we've got to get that done so we can get Definitely. The, uh, get it to you. It's fall in Utah, which means, and I'm, I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. This week in Utah, not that it matters to the rest of you, but just to give you a frame of reference what fall means, we're going to have a day this week that has a 45-degree high and a day this week with an 82-degree high. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, That's what this wow. Week looks I'm in like. Seattle so visiting nuts. family, yeah. so I'm, you know, not in that weather. It's, it's you know, I'm back down at sea level, crazy enough, so pretty cool. Uh, guys, there's also a blip shift store so that we do have a partnership with Blipshift and you can find the Everyday Driver store. Go to partner, go to shop, and then you can find the partner portal right there. And thank you guys for supporting us through there. And more t-shirts, more ideas are definitely coming there. It's now our place to let them do all the fulfillment because they've got such great quality. So it makes sense for us yeah, and stuff is great. makes sense for them. So do definitely go to Blipshift.com because they've got fun stuff all the time. We're longtime users and big believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care since 1990. Griot's is also a family company based in Washington State, and they're dedicated to having the best products for every car and budget. In fact, Paul learned his crazy certified Paul-owned car care from Griot's. Now is the best time to tune up your car care routine. Foaming requires little to no work, and it also avoids some wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your ride. Try out the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. 
Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EVERYDAY for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Kind of a cool topic Tuesday here for you. This yeah, is for sure. from Peter Kay, who writes to us about the order of purchase throughout your life, <laughs> the kinds okay. of cars. He gives us All a right. list of cars that we need to go say, all right, here's when to get this, even though I, I don't know that it's quite a recipe that we're going to give you, Peter, but we'll, uh, we'll do our best. I think this is not the definitive for everybody listening list. This is us taking Peter's list and trying to prioritize, and I hope that those of you listening will find the things that you think are the good, the good cars that actually are part of your list or not. And I'm going to take some off his list, to be honest, but oh, no I kidding. think he's got a good, a good range of things that he's looked at. I think there's some that overlap more than he needs them to. And so I think there's ones that come right off the list. I mean, Peter's story here is his six, he's 65. He drives a 981 Cayman because of this podcast. And he's had it for Amazing. a year and he loves it. So I think that's fantastic, Peter. This is wonderful. But he's just looking at, okay, I'm just getting to retirement now. And so I'm kind of looking at the, the rest of my life. I'm going to check off boxes of cars I've never owned, never driven, etc. So that brings him to this list of things he thinks he should have at some point. <laughs> so I don't know how fast you're going to be trading up, man. But, I mean, there's a fairly ex- expansive list here. So we got to dive in. Yeah, we do. And uh, this... This is a topic Tuesday because it's so debatable. The list that you sent us of cars is so debatable and the thinking, the experience behind this. So for those of you listening, this is the experience, the headspace of these cars and to experience it. And you're right. Maybe you don't need to experience some of these cars. I think it's a great list, but I think there's maybe some stuff that could be added and changed and swapped around, but it also depends on who you are as a driver and kind of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But as Todd mm-hmm. said, he's had this 981 Cayman. His daily is a C-class, only due to the perceived status of the badge because of his job. So he didn't want to get you know something higher than that, I think. He liked the Golf R. And so the question is, starting off, this, this is a Venn diagram for... <laughs> I, I, Peter, I don't think it's just older listeners. I think it's at any age of enthusiasm that because uh-huh. people's incomes vary wildly from sure, I don't yeah, know yeah. I don't have any idea if I'll ever be able to drive or afford blank in my life versus other people trade cars out constantly and they're able to and mm-hmm. so it's really I, I think not just speaking to a young audience or an old audience I think it's speaking to the enthusiasts in general to complete your bucket yeah. because you can yeah, do yeah. this throughout your life which is such a great thing and again I'm going to bring up Paul Newman who was kicking everybody's butt <laughs> in his 70s on yeah, track. Was. And race yeah. cars are not known to be, hmm, have a nice ride. This takes it's a true. corner pretty nice and hangs on. No, they beat you up. They beat you to pieces. Yeah, and you're strapped in. You might have a you know flak jacket on just to protect your rib cage or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so first yeah, of all, you're right. the list here, starting off with an air-cooled 911 of okay. any year. Okay. Yeah. Moving to a water-cooled 911, so that would be 997 plus. It would actually be 996 plus, but he's listed that he wants a 997 and up, it looks like. Yeah, it would be a 996. So BMW 2002, BMW Uh E30 M3, and Peter says he raced a spec E30, but he always wanted to know the difference between that and the M3 flavor. Jaguar E-Type, which that can't be leaving your list, can it? It's not. It's not. But I did take a few off. But yeah. Okay. ND Miata. 
An Aston Martin, just generic Aston Martin. Also on the list is Mustang GT350 or Boss 302. A mm-hmm. Corvette Z06, no year or generation indicated. And the uh, last car on the list is a Caterham 7. By the way, I saw one in Park City the other day. It was just the aluminum, really? some red accents, and it just zipped by me, and I went, huh, huh. somebody's got a Caterham here. Why am I surprised? That's cool. Yeah, There's seriously. a Caterham. Holy yep. moly, awesome. And I just I love that the cars come out late summer. The cars just come out. It's yeah, well, so it's cool. been it's been perfect driving weather here. It's been fantastic, so I'm not too surprised. I'm actually going to start at the Caterham specifically for uh, this discussion for Peter because Peter, one of the questions that you raise, and look, my, I've had this conversation about my dad. You know, my dad has gotten into my Lotus a couple times. He's in his early 70s, and we I, I, I know it's a joke, but we've genuinely struggled to get him out again. I mean, it is funny, but at the same time, it has been like, okay, how do we do this discussion to get him back out? Really? So, I guess I, I didn't think, realize that. Were, were you pulling, like kind of lifting him out or just giving him a hand well, or something? Well, the thing, the thing with the Lotus is that the, what you want to do, the, the, the subconscious thing you want to do when you sit way down in the car is you want to grab the A-pillar. You want to grab the edge of the windshield and pull up on it. But if you do that sure. with a lot of force, you can snap the glass. <laughs> so it's really advised to not do that. Yeah. But that's the thing that makes the most sense to try. So as a result, you know, I, you, you want to push up on the, the huge uh, door sill there. You want to push up on that and kind of roll your way out. And, you know, he's just not used to getting in anything that has any kind of difficulty. So that has not worked at all. So what I had to do was just kind of help him out and kind of give him an extra hand on it. And that, that's fine. It works out no problem. But my, my thinking here is you've mentioned the Caterham 7. And I think either a Caterham or an Elise sooner rather than later. Because mm. the- theoretically, as you get older, it may get harder. But also because I think you're going to know right away, Peter, if either of those cars work. You didn't mention the Elise. I mentioned the Elise because it and the Caterham are kind of in the same area. They're very hardcore. You can have them completely topless, which actually does make the, the Elise easier to get into. The Caterham is really narrow and very long. It's like almost cl- like climbing in a sleeping bag. Whereas the, the Elise has got a, a small entrance hole. And so it's like climb through the small hole and now it's a little cave that has more space than you expect. They're both difficult. So I think you should get one of those sooner rather than later. And I think, again, I think you'll know right away if you even like it and if you mm-hmm. even want to have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Because if you love it, I think you'll keep finding ways to get in that car. But if you are right away like, yeah, I, I don't know, it might be around for six months. Or you might just drive it and be like, you know what, I'm good. I don't need one. Okay, sure. I, I do see that. I like that you're starting there because some of these factors that Peter references in the order of purchase of all these cars is age, not just of the car, age of yourself, safety, totally, yeah. power, comfort, reliability, tech, and the cost, of course. How do you do that? And how do you know after just the briefest of test drives when you're looking at a specialty car like an E30 yeah. M3? Yeah, yeah. You can't just go doing a whole lot of test drives of those. The owner kind of wants you to know what you're getting, and yeah. you're good, and you don't have to drive it much. It's funny because at that level, when we see all the bring-a-trailer cars and we see all these you know, hot cars from whatever era with a manual... How much test driving are you really doing? You know that you want it. You're going to yeah, buy you're it. Right. You're right. It's yeah, not yeah, like you're sure. really weighing heavily and, well, the seat position just isn't quite that. You're going to buy it. It's the car, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that is a bit of a factor. You know, you're, you know you're, you're expected to buy it if you're already looking kind of at that level. 
But I, I do take your point. What I do want to touch on first, Peter, is cars you believe you could live with now and afford. What on mm. your list is that car? And a caterum, maybe not. Maybe when you get older, you're really not going to be appreciative of that. You're going to think, what am I doing? What, why did I do yeah. this? You know? yeah. And so the, the thing you could live with now, you've got some time and space in your garage and you know, space in your life, I guess, to be able to live with it and enjoy it. As Todd said, six months. A year, whatever. Yep, yep. I do take your point. You say when you stop commuting, you'll buy a cheap electric car as the daily driver. I think electric cars are last, if ever, honestly. Sure. We all know and you know love the acceleration, and that's how we sell electric cars now. But I think that's, from an experience standpoint, that's down the road, it, if ever. Because the cars you've listed have a certain scent. They've got a certain sound. And that yeah, does relate yeah. to the experience. And so I like, Todd, what you said, the Caterham Elise, that kind of genre. Do that right away, especially the small stuff where if you know you've got you know, health issues or joint issues or something like that, you're not going to be able to yeah. get in and out too yeah. much longer. Do it now. Enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm, live with it. Mm-hmm. When you can you know, move on to the next, that the doors open wider. It's easier to get in yeah, or whatever. For sure. For sure. I'm uh, jumping to your 911 here on the list, and I, I do think... A 911 is part of the experience, an air-cooled 911, simply because of the interaction in clutch engagement, braking, floor hinge pedals, the sound of the engine, the way it makes power. I do think that's up there, but that might be a little bit later. Uh, It might be a little bit later. I think the cars you need to get into are the more hardcore cars right now. That really affects your order of purchase. Okay. Cars you can live with. I agree with you there. You know, it's, you it's a hardcore think... thing. Like, well, I just, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have this, but I've got it now. Cool. Totally. Well, I'll, I'll piggyback right off of that because you've segued right into my thought on these 911s. And that is, air-cooled 911 is probably mid-pack as far as order, as far as I'm concerned. But I would say if you get an air-cooled, when you get an air-cooled, again, it's a very unique driving experience. But buy one that is the bottom of the market don't buy one that's precious. Don't buy one as an investment. Buy one that's been driven, that has miles, that you can just drive for the experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the, the water-cooled 911, I think, is the last car you buy. Mm, because okay. it's the easiest to get in and out of. It's going to be the cheapest to maintain. It's the most like a usable but go-do daily driver stuff GT car. It's all of the above. And so it is, I think... The, the best one to have, like, okay, I'm going to wind up at a newish 911 and just be done. I think that is definitely the place to, to end up. Okay. So like it's, almost, it's interesting because the air-cooled is kind of mid-pack, maybe early, you know, early third, but mid-pack. And the water-cooled 911 I've got right at the end. Yeah. I, I like that. It's, you're right. It's easy to live with later yep. on. It's yep. just totally. runs easy to live with. I think the big power kinds of cars are second on your list. Maybe first, but those, okay. the, the cars that are first are the ones that are just difficult. Power is irrelevant. They're just yeah, yeah, difficult yeah. to live with. They're finicky from a mechanical perspective, or they're just difficult to drive or get in and out of. The mm-hmm, big power mm-hmm. cars, Vipers, Corvette Z06, GT350 Mustang, those are number two. They're not later because of okay. the power itself. Do sure, you, sure. Do you, you know, would you use it? Is now a time in your life where you can appreciate it and you still want it, where later on you would never dip into, you would never go above 5,500 RPMs in any gear, you know, if you're sure, not doing sure, that. Yeah. 
there's no reason to own those cars. You got to have an ability and a place where you can use that. Hopefully, that you mm-hmm. can, you know, power shift from, you know, redline into the next gear, and you can feel the torque. You can feel that engine. The big power cars are next on my list. In that interesting, sense. interesting. Yeah, I actually think I, I actually think the Mustang GT350. I think that might be the V8 muscle car that you get because it's got so much personality. I think that could be the V8 muscle car on your mm. list. And then I actually think in the case of the Corvette Z06, whether it's Z06 or not, I think the Corvette you need, Peter, is get yourself a C8. And the reason I say that is because you don't have anything else on this list that's really modern or that's mid-engine exotic. Mm. And so mm. I think as much as I like the Z06s that have been out so far, we've got that piece on YouTube right now that many of you have seen and liked. It's that old TV episode of us doing the C5, C6, C7. It's a slightly different piece than is in our American original film. That's been uh, well-liked. We like all three of those generations, but because there's nothing at all in the, in the realm of the McLarens or the Ferraris, there's nothing like that on your list. I think the Corvette you want is a C8. Now, while that's not manual transmission, it's dual clutch, that is a modern experience. And it almost, for me, rivals the water-cooled 911 for a, like, this is the place you end up. Hmm. But I think that's the vet you want because that is the only, that, that is the every man's exotic experience because of cost. Because mm-hmm. he's talking about spending 75 to 80 grand on these cars and trading up at, at around that price point. That's, there you go. It's one monetary unit for a C8, you know? So I think that's the Corvette you want, whereas the Mustang GT350 is, it's got the bravado of the old muscle cars, but it's got the running gear with the independent rear, etc., of more modern cars, and it bridges the gap. Something like a Camaro is starting to get too refined sports car by comparison. Something like a Boss 302 I don't feel like is quite modern enough. I think the GT350 kind of hits that middle ground really well and gets you like a definitive uh, muscle car experience. Hmm. Okay, I can see that. You know what's surprising about that C8 that a Cayman doesn't have is that GT long-legged feel. It's got mm-hmm. such a kind of a dual personality in that sense. Mm-hmm. Because the wheelbase, because, you know, a bit of a bigger car, it still retains some GT car-like attributes, which Agreed. are great at that point. But he has the Cayman already, so he's having that experience already. Yeah, very so true. Over- exactly, exactly. So, so, that's, so that's the other thing about it, is that the, the C8 is a very different mid-engine, and it, it flirts with an exotic feel more than the Cayman does. The Cayman is, I mean, you, you've obviously only owned a string of Caymans. It's, it's a spectacular mid-engine platform. It's one of the best ever made. But you're experiencing it already, Peter, and it, it somehow, because of price, I think doesn't elevate itself to an exotic at all. But it's spectacular to drive, and it, and it rivals pretty much any exotic out there in driving quality, but not in perception and kind of feel, uh, the event feel, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that the C8 is accomplishing, which is really interesting, which actually leads me to some of the others on here that I think are trying to be event cars. I'm going to take one off real quick, and that is you've got both the BMW 2002 and the E30 M3. You don't need both those. The Agreed. 2002 goes. Yeah. The 2002 is nice. I like it. It's quirky. But you know what? The... The, the air-cooled 911 is the better 356 in the same way that the E30 M3 is the better 2002. Okay, fair enough. So yeah. get yourself an, an E30 M3. That is really, that's a special moment in time for cars. And we actually put it up against a uh, similar generation old air-cooled 911. And that was a tough choice because they're both very different but really wonderful. 
I think because you had experience in a spec E30, get an E30 M3 and just, you can get that at any time. Get it now, get it later. It's easy access. It's just, that is a sports sedan done right that maintains a classic feel. And I don't think you'd get anything extra special out of a 2002. So the 2002 is, becomes irrelevant on the list. You know, regarding your Jaguar E-Type suggestion here, that is indicative of any car you want to wrench on. It's not mm, that good. car. It's any car you want to putter with and continually upgrade and, you know, restomod or restore or just keep sure, running. Sure. And that can be, I think, any time in life. And that will mm. ebb and flow depending on the events in your life. But I think young guys should start out wrenching on cars. I think you should have an old car when you've got more time on your hands. Maybe you don't have a family yet. And young people should be doing that kind of thing. But then... From a mid-life standpoint, you've met uh, my buddy Michael, who's the Pontiac yeah. drag race guy. He's yeah, got yeah. Pontiac tattooed on his heart. And totally, yeah. And he loves those engines, which indeed were, early on, the, the Pontiac engines were different engines than just the Chevy engines. And so he's a drag racer, and you know, I ran into him the other day. He tells me, I just installed fuel injection on the 67, and I can't wait. Huh. I was doing it this morning, and I ran out of time, and I had to come here. And I was like, <laughs> Of course. You wake up, and before breakfast, you've finished installing a fuel rail. Awesome. Totally, yeah. That's, that's, that's totally hysterical. you. He's mid-30s. And yeah. then later on in life, maybe you do have more parts left over in a garage space and time, and you just want to screw around with a Jaguar E-Type, like making the electrics work or just making it run, and you've got the time <laughs> to be able to do that, and you take it to car shows, and you take it you know, on cruises and Sunday drives and that kind of thing. I think there is... Not a bad time in life. It just kind of depends on what else is going on in your life. You, if you can accommodate a project car or something that yeah. needs some love, like an E30 M3. Those are still, you know, they'll run for the most part, but you're going to have to do yeah. stuff to them. Whereas I see it. I see it. owning this ND Miata, I think an ND Miata can coexist with that 911. They're two very different experiences, and you've got either. You can kind of choose either, which would be kind of be mm. fun, actually, mm. to have... Air-cooled 911 and Miata. Like, who am I today? What, what do I sure. want? What's the weather sure, like yeah, outside? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. You know, and, uh, and do it that way. I totally get that. I actually, I actually marked the E-Type as when you're ready to, to have a car you can cruise in. Because the E-Type, and I, obviously I love the E-Type and I, I've enjoyed driving them. But every time I drive one, I, I feel like I'm interacting with a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And and so it has a different level of interaction. It has an appreciation more than it is a desire to push as hard as possible. And I mean, I've driven I've driven an E types and gotten daily triples. I've done that. Sure, they have a fantastic feel in the corners. That's fun. But I'm not looking for the edge. I'm not going. Let me see if I can refine that corner. That's not the E type experience. It, it is you're interacting with a piece of art. And so mm. that's a very fun experience. And so you have to be in a place where you as a driver want to have that. And it also, because it is finicky, because, which is a nice term for unreliable, because they might not run very well, <laughs> it also has to be a situation where you're okay with that reality too. I mean, that is the great contrast to the ND Miata, which I put in here as, that's a car that you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Paul. I agree. He could own it any time. But I also noted, if you ever wanted to take an adventure cross-country road trip, now is when you need an ND Miata. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's going to just run. It's going to get great gas mileage when you're sawing along. It's got 
Look, not a great trunk, but you can pack them well for two people to do a cross-country road trip if you pack well and you think along those terms. It's not the cross-country road trip of we're going to do an RV trip. This is a let's find fun roads, let's find great vistas, we need a little convertible. Into Miata all day long. <laughs> you've just reminded me when, uh, you know, you've got your Z4 now for the Cheap Sports Car Challenge. Yes, I do, yes. And my dad saw that. And oh, gosh. all okay. the stories came out, and I had remembered when he was still in the aviation in- industry working in Alaska, his employer, who owned the insurance agency, bought yeah. a BMW Z4 just like that one. Oh, really? Okay. And I've got photos. They went cruising. They did the Alcan Highway in that Z4 from Washington area it. back up to Soldatna, back up to Alaska. Okay, okay. And... You know how my dad is always sort of like, well, just, you know, don't go too fast and this and that. I remembered the story of him and Mike <laughs> in that car going oh, 120 no. on the Alcan, blasting oh, no. along. And I was like, oh, yeah, glad you brought that up. Todd's got a Z4 that now, too. funny. Okay, good. I like it. Well, there you go. <laughs> so they, they stopped through British Columbia, and they, they just did this road trip right. But they did it together in this Z4. They had light luggage. Huh. And, I mean, they were doing zip lining, just, you know, later in life. And I love it. And they were screwing off, and it was just sort of like... I love it. You know, let's just take a road trip, because he got the car, and he's like, we got to do something with this car. We, gotta, we can't huh. just drive around town and drive it to work. we got to do something. And so they, they took this huge, long road trip. They stopped and saw wildlife and all this stuff. It was obviously in the summer. It was not in the winter, but still... Sure, they sure, sure, yeah. Fast, and I was like, yeah, remember that story you told me? Todd's got one now. And he's like, oh, yeah. Awesome. So I, I definitely that think is something, funny. <laughs> something like that could work. And just avoid the realtor terminology. When they tell you a house is cozy or it's got lots of potential, that yeah, is code for needs to be mowed to the foundation and completely rebuilt. <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> <Start> like... Start again. <laughs> it's got charm, <laughs> i.e. there's Maybe. a raccoon's nest in the corner we found and we're, we're not really telling yeah. you about it. Totally. Anybody above 10-year-olds is too tall for this house. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, please avoid that. I mean, there, there is the alternative. I did think it's on your list as well, Peter. There is the alternative do a cross-country road trip car, and that's something like an Aston Martin, or I'll even add a Jaguar F-Type. But that's a different feel. That's, that's more of a, I feel like it's more of a, not a back road, but a freeway car. You're going to do, I'll give you one, like you're going to do Route 66, which, okay, somebody's going to say take your muscle car, which works as well. But you're going to do something that is, not quite interstates, but it's still highways. It's not a whole lot of turns and corners, and you got to saw miles. Highway 50 across Nevada comes to mind, okay? Mm, yeah. That's when you need the long-legged GT car that's just space and comfortable, and that, that's different than the ND Miata trip. The ND Miata trip is you're following every squiggle on the map. Right. The Aston right. Martin is we want to go cross-country just to, you know what, let's go to New York, and then we'll come back. <laughs> and we're just, you know, we're going to do that. By the way, that sounds like a fantastic way to do retirement. Forget the big RV. I'm getting an Aston Martin. I've just decided right now. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, but so that that's when that's how that car in my mind is very differently. Even though it does the same jobs in a lot of ways, the ND Miata. I'm saying take a road trip. They're very different road trips. So I think the Aston Martin is. I, I want something that's a long leg, a GT car. You could, like I say, do a Jaguar F Type. You could do a uh, an LC 500 from Lexus. That's where that car would shine. Oh, for that's sure. good. That's good. You know, Peter, at this point in my life, with all the comfortable, new, amazing cars that we're driving, that I like, by the way. I like a lot of aspects about them. 
it's personally making me wish for the more mechanical, raw, unrefined mm-hmm. cars to own personally. I miss that 914 from Grio's Garage that we drove oh, as an episode. Okay. When right. we drove yeah, yeah. the Speedster Jaguar F-Type and compared it to the 914, and that was two custom cars that is season five, I believe. You can see that on Amazon. And so it was really about the experience of that. And that mechanical mm. interaction just won't ever exist again. Yeah. And I just... Yeah, you're right. It's an not an easy car to get into, but it's fairly easy... And I just think, I, I just miss that. With all the button-down, perfect, great build quality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. amazing comfort and tech, which is important and does have a place in my life. I do like that stuff. Then I just want the, this doesn't even have a stereo. The synchros are kind of gone. And it's just this interaction with the car, with mechanics. Just That's kind of what I'm craving. I, I hope that feeling huh. never goes away. Hopefully that's a reason to justify an air-cooled 911 in your life forever or something like that <laughs> kind of it. car. But yeah, just thinking about the modern stuff that we have, bring it. That will continue. I love it. But in my personal garage, I'm looking at all these. I think that's what everybody's scouring auction sites going, yeah, that manual thing that you know yeah. takes you yeah, back yeah. in you know, 80s, 70s, 60s, whatever that is. I think that's why those cars will never die personally. So, what's interesting here that Peter's list has very few really new cars. I mean, the Indy mm-hmm. Miata is by far the newest thing on here. The Mustang GT350 is kind of new, but that's as new as we get. I mean, I, I blew out his Corvette idea with the C8 and went very new, but that's by far the newest thing. Most of the stuff is older, and I think there's a there's a fine line here because you can get obsessed with the older stuff and just not not ever get out of it and have something new in contrast. This is the thing, honestly, really, really personally, that I feel like I've learned. In, in the last year, owning the Lotus and the Phaeton. Mm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's secured for me even further the benefit of tools for the right jobs. And also, why having the largest, heaviest, most obnoxiously luxurious car in the parking lot can be just as awesome as the car that is the smallest, lightest, most hardcore, and everything rattles. <laughs> and I love having both. And so, such you know, a there's me. It's, uh, it's, such it's a completely paradox. <laughs> It's it's so ridiculous. But I think having spreading out that life experience is really cool. The hard part, and this is kind of why I broke things down in what are you doing with these cars, like think about the difference in my road trips I've talked about, is you then have to have you have to have experiences that play to the car's strengths. If right. all I was doing was right. gonna drive my lotus in in the dead of winter and with no winter tires on it and drive it slowly and try to commute in it, I would hate that car. If all I was doing was sitting on the 405 every day and watching the temperature blow through 230, I would hate that car. Yeah. It's not how I use it. Yeah. And so I love it. And when I do take a little, I got to do, go do errands in it, it's still fun because I'm not asking it to do anything that's hateful in that car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to balance that as well. That's kind of the education too here, Peter, is I think you need to think about these as stages of your life and what, what do I want to do as the way to interact with a car now, and then go find the car that fits into that category. Love it, love it. Well, if you've got your own debate, your own Topic Tuesday, car conclusions, please write to us. You can find us under the About tab on EverydayDriver.com. There's a contact button there, or EverydayDriverTV at gmail.com. One thing you can never have enough of is car stuff, and that's why we love Haggerty Drivers Club. Starting at $45 a year, you'll get six issues of their award-winning Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, chock full of interesting reads and beautiful photos. 
And you'll get access to members-only live streams on topics like car values, automotive history, and do-it-yourself tutorials. Plus, membership comes with tons of automotive discounts, including a deal of the week, which is always an incredible deal and lasts only a couple of days. If you love cars half as much as we do, this is the club for you. Learn more at Haggerty.com slash Everyday Driver. Jacob B. in Denver, Colorado has this thing. He, he's got okay. this automotive pet peeve. <laughs> yes, he does. He hates being able to lose his car in a parking lot. He mm-hmm. gets so frustrated if he accidentally walks up to someone else's car when it looks a lot or exactly like his own, which happens a lot when he drives rental cars for work. So what he has done is make some changes in his life with currently three cars, if you can believe it. He's uh-huh. got a 2013 Charger SRT8 with long tube headers and a matte bronze vinyl wrap. Okay. He also has a 1984 Chevy K5 Blazer, which is undergoing a engine swap, a 5.3 liter mm-hmm. 4L60E engine swap. He says this is kind of far from being running again, but he still has it. And Which means that's got, in the garage with a hood up permanently. That's what that means, exactly. by the way. But go on. Speaking of project cars. And then he also has a 1999 Chevy Lumina, full of rust, but no longer trusty. And that was the family car he learned to drive back in Minnesota in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three cars, three very different cars. And he sent us photos. Thank you for the photos. They are very unique looking, and there's no way you can miss those cars in the parking lot. So That's key, yeah. He, as, in spite of the fact that he, he breaks down, pardon the pun, all of the issues with this Lumina and the fact that it is, it's rusting to the ground at this point. And so while it was given to him for free, he knows, that's why he said it can no longer be trusted. He knows it's time for that to go. But at the yeah, same time, yeah. it's not a silver Camry from last week. He can't just walk by it in the parking lot. He knows exactly where his car is. And so I find it funny that even though many people would say, what is that car? I had a car in college that literally, the nickname for the car was the old abandoned car. Which one so was that? I... Oh, it was it was one of my dad's old caprices. Oh. Of course, it was. Was it the it burgundy just, with the the door, no, the it, door stuff? The no, it, it was it was the one that was uh, vaguely two tone tan brown, and it didn't have oh. hubcaps. And I I literally I had look. I'll go off onto the personal story. I had a girl I was trying to date, <laughs> and we told her to meet us someplace. Oh no! And she never showed up. And she mentioned later to me, like the next day, she was like, "Well, you know, I got there and." I, I wasn't sure if I was in the right place, and then I saw this old abandoned car, and then we realized she saw my car. So it oh, was the no. old abandoned car. From, oh, yeah, it was the oh. old abandoned car from then on. So I get having a car that is so ridiculous you recognize it, but let's get you something that you recognize because, let's be honest, it's awesome. <laughs> well, Jacob had a 91 Firebird in high school, moved on to an 03 Durango for college, which then he traded in to the, for the Charger. But his parents had held on to the Lumina over the years and upgraded to a 2018 Mazda 3 that he helped him choose. Congratulations. The Lumina wasn't worth trading in or even selling, so Jake took it for free (laughs) and has been driving it in all its rusty, daily, dense endings glory. Hysterical. Okay. So three cars, and yet Jacob writes to us for another car. The budget is $200 a month or less, or a $10,000 purchase limit. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Front-wheel yep. drive or all-wheel drive, manual will be the preference. It's got to be reliable. Who cares about gas mileage? Sedan, hatch, wagon. He's open to SUVs, something like that. But here he commutes 10 minutes to the park-and-ride for work, and he drives downtown to Denver for work maybe once a month. He's not worried about gas mileage. He also skis, yep. so being able to navigate the mountains in the winter, probably up I-70, 
would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Getting in and around Denver in the winter is a consideration, so that's why he's thinking front or all-wheel drive. But three cars. One's currently not running. The Lumina kind of runs. It's the old yeah. thing that he's still putting money into, I think, for yeah. making it run, which makes me think you've got two project cars. One of them isn't worth putting money into anymore. It just well, isn't. And I, I do think, I totally agree. I do think, though, that the situation with Jacob is he recognizes that there's no reason for the Lumina to stay. I think he recognizes yeah. it. Yeah. I don't think he knows entirely how to get rid of it yet. Because it's not like anybody's going to come buy it, but I think he knows it can go. So <laughs> That's I think my ideas for you, Jacob. I do exactly. They, they, they're telling you, YouTube fiery, fiery death. Thing. Exactly. They but, involve fire. Um, it's going to be awesome. Fire in the winter would be an even better visual. Just so you know, just do it. Fire in the winter. It's in gonna the winter. Be perfect. Yeah, fire with snow in the background. It's going to be awesome. But so the Lumina can definitely go. The Blazer clearly is staying. But you know, here's the other thing though: is the SRT8 is staying as well. So right. that takes away the need for a big muscle-feeling car. And I think the absolute solve here for Jacob is a hot hatch. And I've got two to recommend. Do you? All right. Because he says on the Lumina, the rear spring perch is rusted through and dropped the body on the <laughs> rear wheels while driving. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's time to be done, man. It <laughs> he, really is. Let's move on. He fixed it, but then the rusty brake lines failed while he was driving in the mountains. Awesome. Failed while driving in the mountains. You awesome. know what that is? That's a plot point from either Knight Rider or Dukes of Hazard. You don't actually hear about that in reality. Nobody's brakes randomly fail on a mountain road. It, only in those TV shows. <laughs> but or they have in to be driving life. a 99 Lumina yeah. for it to be believable. Of course they do. There you can't you just go, be yes. any car. And, oh, well, of course your brakes failed. See what you're driving? Now. Sorry, I'm, I'm off on a rant. But do you know there was actually a, a Dukes of Hazard episode where they stop an 18-wheeler? With a 1969 with charger with drum brakes. Oh, of course they do. On a hill. Of course you know, they do. The General Lee can do it. The General's got it. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah, onward. All right, so I am looking at some options here. Jacob says, if purchasing used, $10,000 or less, cheaper is better. He's looked at late 2000 Civics, Honda Fits, the Toyota Matrix all-wheel drive, but he's always wanted one of the GM V8 sedans and that super trio of the Impala SS, Grand Prix, GXP, or LaCrosse. He says those are around his budget. Between boring base model new cars or older beige, beige and silver Civics with steel wheels, he's having yeah. trouble finding anything in the price range that really makes him excited to get it. So what do we think on a fun, reliable, winter-usable daily? This is interesting. Not because you just are getting one car. It's because you already have three. Yeah, and, and don't get another GM-based front-wheel drive sedan product. Don't, don't do that, Jacob. Let, let's move on from that. Plus, you have a good rear-wheel drive uh, big boy in your charger. So the other thing I noted in here is you said you've driven manual a couple of times. You'd like to have something that allows you to get better at it. So I went manual, hot hatch, less than ten grand, and I even thought about... The fact that you want a car you don't lose in a parking lot. Yeah. yeah. I've got three instantly for you. Okay. Fiat 500 Abart. Okay. Fiat 500 Abart in black or white. Look, it, that, is, that is the least noticeable car of the three I'm going to mention. But it still is going to stand out. And that exhaust note stands out everywhere. I realize that now you're in the car. But come on, you can find that car in a parking lot. Plus, it's just fun. And they're cheap. So Fiat 500 Abart, it's the exact opposite of anything you've owned or anything you currently have. And you can learn manual, but also Mini Coopers on this list. Oh, get it in a color. Get oh. a Mini Cooper in a color. 
that car stands out by its nature and its stature. It just does stand out. Get one in a halfway decent color. Maybe you find one where somebody's got, or you can find them after, after the fact. You've got the Union Jacks on the mirrors or in the lights or something. You can make that car even more yours. Right. So Mini Cooper works. But, but the last one, nobody's going to be surprised, but come on. Get a Fiesta ST in either sure. that amazing sure. orange or that fantastic green. You'll be able to see that from space. And, and honestly, there it is. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, that because that is a small little you know economy hatchback turned awesome. The manual transmission is easy to use. It is on all three of these, but it's easy to use. You can just fold the rear seats down, put your skis in the long way, and go down I seventy. Put winter tires on it and have a day. <laughs> have a ski day. Everything about that would be awesome in the snow. <laughs> Yeah, and I've would. driven a Mini Cooper in the snow. It would be great. The 500 Abarth would be fine. All of these are, will be perfectly fine in the snow. The great thing about all three of these is they're not heavy, and they've got a lot of personality behind the wheel, and it will teach you to be really good with manual transmission. So one of those three hatchbacks in a color with manual transmission, you'll learn manual instantly, put good winter tires on it. Enjoy, because it's totally different new experience, and you'll love it. Okay, and this is predicated on the assumption that the Lumina is going, right? Oh, the Lumina is the Lumina is not worth literally the metal that's left in it. So I think it has to okay. go. And and you can't. Okay. That's why he can't go get another front wheel drive GM product. You've done it. You've literally rusted one to the ground. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, I I like those. I did have a different direction for you to consider here, Jacob, because. I'm assuming the Lumina is going, and I'm also suggesting the Charger is going. You've got Ooh, a few. Look at you. You've got a few years left on some loans, on, so it's not quite paid off yet. But I think now's the time when you can still get some money back out of it. And you've I already see. got a project car. Okay. Keep the Blazer. That's cool. That yeah. will be eternally yeah. cool. Whatever you do yeah. to it will be awesome. And that could yeah. eventually become the ski truck. But sure that's could, not what yeah. I'm thinking right now. So the Blazer yep. stays, and then I want you to focus on pooling more cash. I'm trying to get you more cash is the whole point. I'm trying to sell <laughs> because, stuff because to get more cash. Paul's looking for cash. I know yes. you're shocked that Paul's looking for cash, yeah. So we're selling the Charger and the Lumina. So you have the Project Car, K5 Blazer, and then you have one good, reliable, awesome car. Okay. Before I, before I thought of this, I thought, all right, uh, Hyundai Veloster has a $199 per month payment right now, 2.9% APR. And you know that's the problem, good. The problem with leasing, it's got a down payment. It's like twenty two fifty down, and then yeah, you know yeah, two hundred bucks sure. a month. Which you could, you could find a ten thousand dollar car. Yes, you could. But if we had more cash, you mentioned earlier in your email <laughs> that you've thought about small Mazdas, and you really wish you could afford the new Mazda three turbo coming. Yeah, if we had more yeah. cash pooled. I'm taking that ten grand and adding whatever you can get for the charger, whatever you can sell it for, the delta of of course what you owe. Could we get to 15? Could we get to 20? Could we, could we hmm. stretch? I don't know. Interesting. Okay, all right. Because, again, if you get any of these, like the Chevy SS, you know, you turn that into the Holden version and you wrap that. Also unique, but you've got the charger still. I don't see the point. Yeah. I like the car, but I think you should get rid of the charger, to be honest. Because let's say you could bump up to the slightly used Veloster N. I know the DT, DCT is coming, but yeah. let's say 25 for the Veloster N. Like, let's talk monthly payment. Let's not talk final price. 
That's what Welcome you're supposed to, car to do. Dealerships. Well that's, done, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to settle on a final price and then you figure out the budget. Here I'm yeah. telling you to do the exact wrong opposite, and that is what <laughs> car dealers love you, Paul. Because <laughs> I want you to be in something awesome. But then I threw all those out, and my answer for you this is okay. going to be hard to find is the problem. A perfectly stock Mitsubishi Evo 10 GSR. Look at you. Okay. Yeah. How can we get yeah. one of those in your life that, again, is perfectly stock? This is hard. I don't know. I don't have difficult. an answer. Yeah. Could they be you almost... 18, 15, 22? Yeah. I'm trying to pull the cash to get you yeah, into that perfectly it. stock. Somebody's just driven it, enjoyed it, maybe tracked it one or two times. All-wheel yeah. drive, yeah, turbocharged. Yeah. I think it will run properly maintained and taken care of. I think it will be fine. Great for Denver. Great for weather. Awesome. I see it. Yeah. And now, you just don't see a ton of them. So I, I see that don't. as well. Yeah. They're very unique. You will find that in the parking lot. You might have to wrap it. And, you know, but if you see a green winged thing in the parking lot, you're like, there's my car. You're not going to lose that thing. <laughs> but the GSR is only manual. If you want it is. something resembling an automatic, it's the dual clutch. So in the, the MR, but I would get, having had the, man, the dual clutch in that, get the manual for sure, yeah. yes. But my wild card, this is a super extra okay, duper wild good. card, is an early 2000s BMW M Coupe. Interesting. Ski okay. Car. It's still yeah. wrenchable by you, which you're going to still want to do stuff to it and just keep it loved. But mm-hmm. overall, more reliable than other things of that era, I think. Hmm. Your wheel drive, manual transmission is the makes it a very much of a wild card because winter tires. You yeah. wouldn't even have to wrap this thing. You see an M coupe in the parking lot. Yep, you're right. There she is. That's mine. Ski, That's probably those car. are those are probably two or three times as budget, but I do love it. It is I, great. I suppose. That's why it's a wild card. There's all kinds of issues. There's problems with that suggestion. I yeah know. yeah. So I pull back to this Mitsubishi Evo 10, but that's also hard. But I think you'd really mm-hmm. enjoy it mm-hmm. because it is such the opposite. It feels like a small hatchback. The turbo hits and you're cackling as you, yeah, you're you right. know, turn you're right. clad going wherever you're going. And it's, it's fast. It's a This lot is of the fun. strange, strange podcast where I didn't bring up an Evo and you did. That, that's quite interesting. Many I times you suggest 911s and I don't. So you're right. I'm just trying yeah, to balance we just, the world. We, we, we trade personalities. <laughs> it's quite interesting. That, that, I like that. That's good. All right, good. Well, thank you both for writing into us. Please let us know with your car conclusions what you guys end up getting. And I know the audience is curious too, so let us know. We're headed into questions. There's a lot of really great ones. I want to run through a few in the time we have left. I'll start with Hal Bullock, who says, If a car reviewer roasts the tires on a press car, who pays to replace them? Hal, believe it or not, that press car, it, this, and, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is how the business is run. That press car, if you have a habit of breaking press cars, you'll stop getting press cars. Indeed. But just about everybody we can think of that's been an automotive journalist has damaged a press car. I'm not talking tires now. I'm talking damage. And they keep getting press cars. Mm-hmm. I recently, we had a, a small pickup here in Park City, and I was slowly backing out of a parking space, and a brand new teenage driver, she came around the corner and she clipped the back bumper. She scraped up the entire side of her car and put a dent in the back bumper of this pickup. And I felt horrible. Yeah. Granted, her whole car, literally all four panels on the side of her car were going to have to be replaced. But we didn't pay for that. The press car folks paid for that. We had to tell them all the info. We've known people, honestly, we've known of people that have balled up press cars 
and the press fleet takes care of it. Now, again, if you make it a pattern, it's a problem. So if you roast the tires, those are going to be replaced by the press fleet. The problem is, if you damage a car or you just need new tires, and that car is in demand, there's somebody waiting behind you as another journalist, and if they have to take it out of rotation, now that journalist got bumped. It's happened to us before. We lost right. a car because of something getting damaged. Right. And so a lot of times, the, uh, the press fleets will push that as far as they can. And the example I can think of is when we first had a Corvette Z06 for TV... We picked it up in uh, San Francisco area, and it had almost bald tires on it. And I proceeded to drive it through the rain, and then we did PCH with it, and the tires were already gone. So I would have loved it if they'd replaced those tires, but I'm sure it was in rotation back-to-back, and they didn't have a chance. Yeah, pe- people know who takes care of press cars and who doesn't. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and they do. And that definitely affects the relationship. Bradley J. 1983 asks a gearing question on Instagram. Do taller gears ruin the manual transmission experience? He's heard that and mm. read that Cayman and Boxster have really tall gears. This can detract from the manual transmission joy. What is our experience? Yes, we've read the same thing, especially the Cayman GT4 981 generation. We've heard about third gear, certainly, and you know there's a fix for third gear. It makes it a little bit shorter. And you're referring to the, just the manual transmission joy of constantly shifting, which mm-hmm. definitely is. But especially yeah. for the Cayman, you've got to, be cons- got to think about how those cars are going to be used and what Porsche is intending, and that is some track use. Whether it's yeah. hardcore racing or just general track days, most tracks are third and fourth tracks, meaning you won't ever really u- get out of third or fourth. You can do most tracks in third and fourth gear. Even straightaways, if you're in fifth, you're almost running out of straightaway by the time you go to fifth, nail the throttle, and then you've got to be hard on the brakes, back down to third, go through your corner. So maybe you can redline it for a touch at the top of fourth and then hit the brakes. It kind of depends on your speed, how you're driving. But I think, yeah, yeah. and it's my belief, that Porsche takes this into consideration when choosing gearing instead of just making it all really short so you're constantly shifting. You don't want that on track. There's many tracks that don't have any place for second gear maybe Mm -hmm. the bus stop at spa and that's just okay you know short autocross that kind of thing so it's kind of depends on how the car manufacturers perceive their cars to be used and that really influences gear selection because i'll bet you there's a test driver who probably said you know what the third gear needs to be a little bit taller a little bit longer so you're not as shifting as much on track even though you want to some but you're not just constantly rowing whereas a Miata, you're on a canyon road, and you just want to up and down and up and down, you know, through the gears, yeah, back and yeah, forth. Yeah, you do, yeah. And it just, I think that really influences that kind of perception. Even though I know Miata's a track, I, I get it. But that's the general feeling that I get from manufacturers as, as how their cars are going to be used, and then that influences from a test driver. That's what the test drivers are out there selecting. You know, they're evaluating, is this gear good for most corners, is it? Tracking, mm. is it canyons? Is it a balance between the two? Is it, you know, this car would never be used for track purposes. You know, we got to balance things out a little bit better. How will people be driving these cars and make those decisions accordingly? There's another element here that is very insidious that goes on in gear selection because I would rather have the shorter gears because I think that engagement is really cool in a street situation. And it you're is. talking about the difference yeah, in track. It's, fun. it's very cool. But here's an interesting thing that's happened across the board. You'll notice that most cars that have any enthusiast bent at all can reach 60 in second. That's not an accident. (laughs) It used to be. The the WRX fell to this for a while. The WRX had a few generations where you had to hit third to get 60. 
But the mm-hmm. WRX 0 to 60 times came down in testing because you had that time frame of another shift to get to 60. So most manufacturers, because they know so many people listen to 0 to 60 times, will make sure that first and second, even if it's touching red line, will get you to break 60 to bring the 0 to 60 time down. I'm in a situation where I'm thinking, wait a minute, if we're just talking about a car like a Miata that you're just going to enjoy, who cares if you have to get another gear? Isn't that the fun? But they're not going to do it because that will kill the 0-60 to 60 time in testing. Mm, yeah, very true. Uh, Dan Prawl asks, how do I get my wife to see what it's like to drive a fun car? He has fun cars that are manual. She doesn't know how to drive stick shift and doesn't want to learn. And the sportiest thing she's ever driven was a Nissan Juke, and she loves her Subaru Outback. So how on earth does he in- introduce her to fun cars? Dan, the stretching part here is, what are the cars that interest her? And I don't care if it's a Nissan Murano convertible. I mean, I care because I think it's awful. But what, what does she see go by on the street and go, oh, that's cool, because have her drive one of those. And I don't really care what it is. If, if she can connect to a car that she is intrigued by, and then she drives it, and she finds it fun to drive, you might not find it fun to drive, but that is a first step. Then is there a connection point, Dan, where something that she is intrigued by is also something you know would be fun? That's the sweet spot. That's the thing to get a Turo rental or a decent uh, length in it because you know that the dynamics are good. Let's go to the obvious. Let's say she loves the look of a, uh, we've mentioned it a lot on this podcast, but the Mazda Miata NDRF. Maybe she says, that's a great looking car. Find an automatic one, get her some seat time. Because mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm. had the visual connection. You talk all the time, Paul, about how much styling is the thing that gets us. Find the thing that she's... And if it's the Juke, I, the Juke sold really well with women. Women loved the Juke. But, like, my wife can't stand it. So it's very personal, okay? Yeah, yeah. But if she decided she really liked the look of that small little sports car, whatever it is, find her an automatic one, get her some time in it, because then you can connect the dots. Yeah, interesting. All right, James Harrison asks about tech in cars and giving new drivers the responsibility of actually driving. Because he saw a recent Hyundai and mm. Kia commercial, which if, if this is according to your description, James, I'm upset as well. Apparently it showed a group of girls taking selfies while driving, almost hitting another car, while the voiceover says the new Hyundai whatever watches the road even if they don't. Which you're right, this is enabling bad driving. This is telling us that you as drivers, eh, you're just not really still getting it. When there, I believe there are still very many people who take pride in driving and being precise and accurate and doing a great job while driving. Mm-hmm. But there's many people who get behind the wheel and it just doesn't even occur to them. And they're not thinking things through. Uh, it, just the cell phone usage just bugs the daylights out of me. So the question is, when do we start teaching new drivers the responsibility of being behind the wheel of a vehicle? It's very important. We, mm. It's a lost thing, along with manual transmissions. The <laughs> tech, the overwhelming amounts of tech would suggest it's okay to not look behind your, you know, over your shoulder when changing lanes or backing up. We've got screens. Just look at the screen and you're fine. It's a wide angle. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. It's not always the best thing. The, the driving habits need to be instilled first. It's like photography, you know, learning how film is developed and how old-style cameras work actually does kind of help later on when understanding digital cameras and how they work and tech. It, you know, funny enough, learning this 
old school, and I, I still marvel at how digital cameras don't need to work like old film cameras do, yet we base all the uh, mm, shutter the speed and f-stops off of yeah. what film needed. Same thing. I, I still laugh at the save button in Microsoft Word is based on a 3.5-inch floppy disk from yeah. decades ago, which I think is so funny. But yes, it's the same kind of thing. A lot of tech and a lot of over amounts of safety features would suggest that the car's got it. You can just kind of half pay attention. And that's frustrating too, especially if, because the manufacturer's trying to promote their new tech, would suggest that it's okay to not be fully engaged when driving. It should be a supplemental thing. Until we get to full autonomy, which is decades, I believe, then you should have the fundamentals still in place and all these safety features should be supplemental, not taking over because... You weren't paying attention, and no problem. You buy our car anyway. That's yeah. Fair. That's it's it's infuriating. I totally agree. I actually suspect that the marketing meeting was about we're going to sell this car to parents for their kids who are going to be taking selfies no matter what they say. This that's what it says to me. It says that this commercial was designed for parents who are so concerned that their kids aren't going to pay attention anyway. So at least the car is defending them. Mm-hmm. It's it's terrible car thinking. Yeah. But it's somebody yeah. marketing safety over everything else and not thinking about responsibility, which is too bad. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, guys, we've got to end it there. There's a lot more questions we could choose. Thank you for posting up your questions. We really appreciate it. We've got to run Great for stuff. the moment. But thank you for tuning in, even on your holiday weekend and uh, in the future. We love hearing from you guys. It's, uh, yeah, it's just fun to be part of your lives when you email us and tell us what's going on. And uh, thank Definitely. you for following. This Cheap Sports Car Challenge is getting underway. I do not yet have my car as of this recording, but you will know it when I do. And it's going to be fun to reveal. And then we're, then we're off and we've got stuff planned already in the works for this Cheap Sports Car Challenge. It's going to be pretty interesting and hopefully be revelatory in a way and maybe not in others. So it, it should be fun. Also, check out everydaydriver.com the second tab over is youtube and that is the easiest way to get to the second youtube channel we have a lineup of videos coming that are new content new press cars of things you're looking at and i love it when you comment on social media we post a picture of whatever and you're saying yeah i'm interested in that i'm you know maybe i'm not shopping maybe i am but i want to know more about that that's where you'll be able to find those videos in the meantime guys thank you so much we're looking forward to next time cheers everyone